0: I'd like to start by uh, reading something from one of Apostle Paul's letters. Uh, This is his letter, 2 Corinthians, and in chapter 4, verse 7, this is what he says to the Corinthians. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Just want to share um, a word of encouragement from uh, Scripture, because, you know, this sermon is entitled Christian, and I think a lot of times... We, we would admit that meeting Christ and having become Christian is one of the greatest joys. If not, I mean, is the greatest joy in our life, but a lot of times it certainly doesn't feel like that, especially when we go through different trials or different hardships, um, things that we put upon ourselves or things that happen to us. And um, one of the things that I'm reminded of is everything that God allows us to go through there is a reason, there is a purpose. And it's a, it's a hard time, it's a trying time, but just like, just like the Apostle Paul said, we're, we're not completely crushed. We're not completely forsaken. And, um, you know, what a, what a good reminder of that. And, uh, you know, right before service, uh, some of the uh, guys uh, were joking, if you remember uh, one of our own, Hayden, uh, he broke his arm last year in an accident, and then they were talk- the, the guys, they were talking about injuries. They were saying, hey, you know, when you uh, broke your arm and then you went to the hospital, when they finally put the arm back into place, uh, which one hurt more, when you initially broke the arm or when they put it back into place? And Hayden, what did he say? Well, what Hayden said was, when they put the arm back into place. And a lot of times, I think that's true, even when God is working our lives. A lot of times, the healing or how he redeems us from our sins can be just as painful, if not more painful, than our own sin. Uh, But there are a couple things today that, as a Christian, uh, there are a couple encouragements here in this passage that I would like us to focus on. Uh, The first of two encouragements is that, number one, God is okay with using us where we are. God is actually okay with using us where we are. Um, In this passage, in this story, what's been going on in the early church is that there's been a lot of persecution, a lot of persecution. Persecution. One of the things mentioned is that a lot of people scattered after someone was killed for their faith. If you remember a few chapters back, this was Stephen the deacon, also known as Stephen the martyr. And because of that persecution, a lot of the apostles remained and stayed in Jerusalem, but then they told the rest of the followers of Christ to to escape to other countries, to other areas. And some of these areas were Judea. Some of them were Samaria. And then here we read that uh, some of them were Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. And in verse 19, we see that as they're running away, as they're escaping, they were still sharing the word of God. But a lot of them were sharing the word of God with only Jews. And that's one of the things about the city of Antioch, that's a focus for us today. Antioch was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, right after Rome, Ephesus, and Alexandria. Its population totaled around half a million people. There were different ethnicities there, people from all different countries. There were Greeks, there were Romans, uh, there were Jews living there. And there were quite a few Jews there. And so when the followers of Christ, who were originally Jews from Jerusalem, escaped to somewhere like Antioch, it was very comfortable for them to to just only speak to people they were comfortable with. But in verse 20, we see that Scripture says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they spoke also to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists were Greek- people. They were non-Jews. And one of the things that is really incredible is, as we read in Acts 11, unlike a lot of the previous times, God was just using regular, ordinary people. He was using people like you and me. At first, the first person who was martyred was Stephen the deacon. He was one of the pioneers of Christianity, one of the top leaders. After that, God used Philip the deacon, another leader, he used Philip deacon to spread the word in Samaria, used Philip deacon to share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, and then most recently, God used Peter to evangelize and share the gospel with Cornelius and, and, and Roman soldiers. And so, up to this point, God's been using a lot of leaders of the church. But one of the things that's so amazing here that I would like to point out is, it's just saying, just men of Cyprus and Cyrene. There's nothing extraordinary about them. They're just regular people. They don't have a seminary degree. They're not pastors. They don't. They haven't really studied the Word of God anywhere. It's not like they have great talents. It's not like they have incredible gifts or anything. They're just ordinary people. And instead, what the Bible focuses on is that it's the hand of the Lord that was with them. The Bible says that the hand of God was with them. And that's why a great number believed and turned to God. God is okay with using all of us where we are. All of us are called to be Christians. Now, I think especially growing up, I always kind of heard in church, you know, you have to become a missionary or go to a faraway land. You have to uproot your whole life, sell everything you have. You know, you have to be this extraordinary person in order to share the gospel. But the Bible shows that God uses ordinary men, women, children, in fact, sinners. When Jesus Christ, for example, fed the 5,000, he asked his disciples to feed them. But if you remember who actually rose up to the occasion, it was a little boy. The disciples were wondering, Jesus, we only have five fish, and we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And it was a little boy that came up to the occasion and said, you know what, I think think we can use this. That little boy's faith, his leap of faith and trust in Jesus Christ is what led to Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000. And it's not just God using ordinary people, but it's God using incredible sinners. You know, do you ever feel like you're a failure? Do you ever feel like, You're too feeble or too weak to be used where you are, maybe helpless. Well, in Scripture, God used Noah the drunkard. God didn't call Noah to build the ark because he's a great carpenter, but God called Noah because Noah was someone that God just chose. And Noah put his faith and trust in God, but later on in his life, he, he he was last known as a drunkard, an alcoholic, God used David, the adulterer and murderer. God used Abraham, the liar. God used Jonah, the racist. God used Moses, the reluctant. Rahab, the prostitute. Esther, the spoiled. Yeah, even Esther. And I know she's one of the heralded women of Scripture for such a time like this. You know, she's, she's beautiful. She's smart. Every guy in here would, would love to meet The Christian version of her today. But even Esther was someone who was spoiled and forgot about where she came from, and she had to be reminded by her uncle Mordecai that God put her where she was for a purpose and reason. What is the purpose and reason for where God has placed us? In our family, in our community, in our workplace— Whatever it is, it's because of the fact that God is not calling us to be this great Christian, but he wants to remind us that Christianity is about Christ. Not about us, Christians, but it's about Christ. It's about the chosen one, Jesus, who died and rose again for us. In the pages of Scripture, it shows that in verse 21, it's the hand of the Lord that was with people. In the pages of scripture, it shows that it's God's hand who does everything that's miraculous and great. Isaiah 48, 13, God says, my hand laid the foundation of the earth, my right hand spread out the heavens, and when I call to them, they stand forth together. In John 10, 29, Jesus Christ says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then in 1 Peter 5.8, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And so we see that it's, it's God's hand who creates. It's God's hand who saves and keeps people. It's God's hand that exalts those who humble themselves under him. And I think when I read this, it wasn't immediately something that I was aware of, but that it was God and not just these people. But when we see that when Barnabas finally shows up to Antioch, the church in Jerusalem sent him there. And when he came, in verse 23, it says that he saw the grace of God and he was glad he saw the grace of God working among believers, and that's what made him joyful. That's what made him glad. And I think a lot of times, that's why we get so discouraged, because with everything that's going on, we lose sight of the grace of God. And one of the things that I'm thankful for is that I can be a part of church. That church is where God uses different people and transforms them in different ways. Some people here, they never really had an opinion in life. And then when God hit them, I mean, not when God hit them, but when the Holy Spirit really, you know, came upon them, they started like thinking and thinking a lot of great things about God and, and uh, you know, how amazing his gospel is. Other people here were so shy. They would, they would, they would never talk in their families. They would never care about other people in their lives. And it's because of what God has done in this church and, and what he's done through you guys that it's, it's transformed a lot of me. One of the things that I was amazed by personally with God, how was working in my life was when I recently went to Phoenix. When I went to Phoenix, I had a lot of fun. I know some of the stories I share, it just sounds like I was like talking the whole time or something. No, 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 There's a lot of eating. Ate In-N-Out, the best fast food chain in the world. That's undebatable. Uh, Ate Bianco's Pizzeria, some of the best pizza. Had a blast dancing in front of a live band with my two-year-old nephew who could finally kind of walk and move around. And it was just just a blast visiting my sister and her family in Phoenix. And um, one time, one night when my sister and I were out, after we had climbed this mountain and seen this gorgeous view of the whole city, uh, we finished our night at this uh, taco place called uh, Joy Bird. And uh, we're just eating these amazing fish tacos. I was reminded of some people here who really like fish tacos. And we're just, you know, there's, there's no thought of, of God or whatever there. And but it's, it's incredible. This, this guy who's working there just came up to my sister and me. And um, the restaurant's about to close in about 10, 15 minutes. This guy comes up to my sister and me, and he asks, hey, I want to ask you guys a random question. And we're like, oh, okay, hey, how's it going? All right. <laughs> the evening started, hi, I just wanted to ask a random question. And he asked, if you could change one thing in the whole world, what's that one thing that you would change? that you could implement. For example, you could eliminate all war or provide food for all the hungry. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, little does this man know who he's talking to. I have some opinions, but my sister is like the queen of opinions. It's, it's endearing and annoying all at the same time. And so my sister goes first. You know, I let her go first, You know, her being 14 years older than me. And she gives this answer of how she thinks that this world would be better with universal education. And then she explains and then she stops herself and says, actually, first universal healthcare. So she starts going to politician mode talking about universal healthcare and universal education. It's a great answer, it's a sparkling answer. Her, 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 her multiple jurist doctorates are showing this answer. <laughs> Magna cum laude, that's like honors, her Oxford degree is showing, everything's just showing out of her. And I'm just sitting there with my fish taco that is melting in my hand. <laughs> the sauce is just coming over my hand. And I'm thinking back to previous times where my sister and her intellectual friends would talk like this, and I'm just melting, and I'm like, I do not want to go after this answer. And then I looked at that fish taco, and then it reminded me of some of you guys that like fish tacos, and then I was like, wait a second. I'm a Christian. That means it's not about me. It's about Jesus. So I was like, whatever. I'm never going to see this guy again. My sister already, I don't know, I don't think she thinks I'm, she, uh, yeah, okay. She already thinks what she thinks of me. So I just, I just let her rip. You know, it's a, little, a little something from C.C. Bible study. And I said something to the extent of, I don't think one universal broad sweeping change is enough. You have to look at the individual, the household. Every family comes with its own set of vices. And I believe that the biggest problem is not that we're not helping other people enough, but that we don't realize that we're the problem. And I was like, okay, I hope that like, came out okay. <laughs> and then the guy was like, huh, what do you mean by that? And then I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, he's asking for more of like what's founded by scripture. And as I explained to him, I was just like, Yo, this is this is pretty awesome, and I was explaining that you know a lot of uncivilized countries, civilizations, they don't have food, they don't have education, um, they're 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 they don't have peace. But a lot of times they live in more civilized ways than civilized people do. And then I gave some examples, and I said a lot of times it's not about us living a better life materially, physically, having a better education, but in the end wherever we are in the world, we have to realize that we're not good. We're an issue unto ourselves. And the only good person is is God. And with that, there comes a humility in in realizing that humanity cannot do it. There's there's no one solution to this world except for God who cares about us. And um, we we talked a little more about that, but the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this Example of this thing is because it it, it would not have happened if it wasn't for God's grace. It it would not have happened if it wasn't for Bible studies here. It wouldn't have happened if we didn't talk about those things in our spare time. It, It wouldn't have happened if you guys weren't so encouraging and so patient a lot of times. It's all by God's grace that God changes each of us right where we are and uses us. God is in the business of encouragement. The first point was that God is okay with using us where we are. But the second point is that God is in the business of encouragement. And that encouragement is not always easy. That encouragement is not always easy. When we look at how Barnabas is encouraging these believers, in verse 23, it says that he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He exhorted them. That's a fancier word for encourage. And of all the people to encourage these new believers at Antioch, Barnabas was a great choice because his name literally meant son of encouragement. If you don't remember, Barnabas was just an average Joe, literally. He was Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. But the apostles called him Barnabas, the son of encouragement, because Barnabas Sold a great piece of land and donated all the proceeds to a church. Wow, what a boss, right? And this came at a really useful time because the church, they recently had like 3,000 new believers and then they're like, oh, we don't know how to care for these people and we do not have the money to do so. And so Barnabas saw a need and he provided there. But it's not really because of Barnabas, is it? It's because of the fact that in Barnabas' life, he was moved by how Jesus Christ donated his body and his blood and gave everything, that the richest person in the whole universe became poor and emptied his fortunes upon the cross for him. Barnabas was continued to be moved by Christ. When Saul of Tarsus came to Christ, When Saul of Tarsus was rejected at Damascus, when people plotted to kill him, when he came to Jerusalem to seek friendship, Barnabas alone took Saul under his wing. And Barnabas risked his life to do so. Because that was not something popular with anyone else. But again, it's because Barnabas was looking at Jesus. Jesus Christ didn't just merely risk his life. He gave up his life. And here, one of the amazing ways that we see Barnabas exhorting and encouraging the believers here is that he plays a very supportive role. Encouragement in Scripture can mean a lot of different things. One of those things is to support and to lift up. They they say that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of encouragement because the Holy Spirit lifts up the agenda and mission of what God the Father and Jesus Christ wants to do and the Holy Spirit also lifts us up. And for the longest time, until Acts 13, until we get there, Scripture always says, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. But eventually, they will say Paul and Barnabas. And I think Barnabas kind of knew that. So in this time when they need a preacher at Antioch, out of all the different Christians at that time, Barnabas could have chosen anyone, but he went specifically to Tarsus because he believed in what God was doing in Saul's life, maybe even more than what, Saul was, than what Saul believed that God was doing in his life. If you don't remember, the last time that we heard about Saul, because we've been hearing about Peter, the last time we heard about Saul, he had escaped from Jerusalem. Once again, people were trying to kill him. And then, he was basically hiding out in Tarsus for 10 years. And not entirely hiding out, he was, you know, still ministering, still witnessing, things like that. But he's been there for about 10 years. And yet, Barnabas goes out to find him. And Barnabas takes such a huge risk. He takes a chance of someone who is a target, who is not popular. He takes a chance on someone who might not be up to par. But this is the place where Barnabas' encouragement really shows. When Barnabas had to give up everything that he had, it wasn't an easy thing. When Barnabas took a chance on Saul, it was not an easy thing. In the future, Barnabas is going to be the one to really push Jerusalem to say, hey, Yo, everything that we're doing, we need to get out there. God is working among the Gentiles, not just among the Jews, and that's unpopular. And even after that, at the Jerusalem Council, when people are arguing about how the 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 method in which people become Christians, Barnabas is the one who argues for unity in the church, when that is extremely not popular. Encouragement is not easy. Being encouraged is not easy. But one of the amazing things that I find about Barnabas is that he says to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. But thanks be to God, even though Scripture says he's a good man of the Holy Spirit and of faith, that he's not perfect. There will be a time in the future after this, of what we're reading here, that Barnabas himself is not faithful. A time where Peter is compromising his faith, as well as with other leaders. There's a time where Peter was afraid of the circumcision party, and instead of eating amongst the Gentiles and associating with them, he goes to eat with the Jews, and Barnabas goes to follow him. But what's amazing during that time is that Saul, who's Apostle Paul by then, Paul comes up to Barnabas and Peter and reminds them of of their true calling. It's really thanks be to God that we ourselves cannot be the source of encouragement, that Jesus Christ alone is the God and perfect one and source of encouragement. Jesus Christ alone never compromised. Jesus Christ alone never failed God or his people. He never violated any part of God's law. And that's why it is such a privilege to be called Christians. In this story, we see that in Antioch, as Barnabas and Saul are teaching the disciples for a whole year, their neighbors start to call them Christians. That name, Christians, wasn't actually chosen by Christians themselves. Other people started calling them that. Christians comes from the word in Greek, Christianus, which means Christ slave. Christ slave, Christianus. And to be a slave of Christ is an amazing thing because what it reminds us of is not ourselves, the slave, but of the master, of the master who loves his people so much that he would become like a slave and die for us. I began the sermon with saying that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that a surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that's true. And then afterwards, as I continue to read, it said, we're afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And the reason why we are not those things is because of the fact that Jesus Christ was crushed. Jesus Christ was actually driven to a despair on the cross where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ was not only persecuted, but he was forsaken not only struck down but he himself was destroyed on the cross. And that's why at all times and every season of our lives we could be reminded that Jesus Christ alone is our only hope, our only savior. If anyone asks us, what is the hope for this world? If anyone wonders in our circles, in our family, stranger, where we work. You know, what does this world need? Our witness should be to Jesus Christ and and to nothing else. And that's what an amazing blessing and privilege it is that we have to be called Christians. Um, Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for being so faithful to us. Um, Thank you for everything that you're doing in our church, the different Bible studies, the different convictions that people have. God, it's just such an amazing thing that you would use not only ordinary people like us, but sinners like us. Lord, it's all about you. It needs to be all about you, Jesus. And I ask that in my life and all of our lives that you would help us to find all of our hope, all of our salvation, and all of our joy, like Brian prayed before, in you, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you so much for looking upon us with grace. Thank you so much that you would not only save us, but want to use us to be an encouragement to each other in this church and to encouragement to this world. And uh, Jesus, that is such a blessing and privilege. In your name, we thank you and pray, amen.